old structures are not serving us well. We need to creatively destroy the ships that brought us here and move into the land of the future with better tools. Tools that keep us safer and healthier, that create more wealth for more people, that foster more intimate and rewarding relationships. We need to leave behind what is not working. We need a modern revolution. The people we invite here, they are thinking differently. And we'll tell you where you can learn all about them later, after you have listened to them closely. For now, we don't want to impress you with what they have done. We want to impress you with what they have to say. The Modern Revolution will be podcasted. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome back to the Modern Revolution. And, you know, we bring guests who are multifaceted. They, they're affecting the world, not just in one way. Um, and they're doing it not just for themselves, but their intention is to affect all of us. And um, I'm less concerned about the accomplishments of their past life that have brought them to today's interview. So we're not gonna spend a lot of time talking about uh, their, their resumes. Instead, you know, we're gonna spend our time uh, with an invitation for you to listen to them. And if their ideas resonate with you, well then we'll give you links in the show notes for you to know them more deeply. But it's more important to me that uh, you're listening rather than getting caught up with the authority of the person's conversation based on what they've done in the past. Uh, so today's modern revolutionary is Delia Scales, and she's been good enough to accommodate uh, a, a very drastic time zone between she and I. Um, so she, you might recognize from her accent, is talking to us from Australia. So Delia, thank you for making time for us, and we're excited to talk to you. Pete, thanks for having me on your show. And so we like to begin with um, sort of describing your intention, you know, broadly. And so um, I know your work impacts people in more than one way, but if you're going to sum up what you're doing in the world, um, like how would you describe it in, in, you know, by way of summary? Okay, well, I named my site Wiki Hospitals, and I always say to people that that was inspired by WikiLeaks and Wikipedia. And they go, oh, okay. Um, and really, that's around transparency. It's about giving people information, and it's about a global database where everybody should be able to get online and see, hey, this is the information that I really need that can really help solve the problems that I currently have. And so I use my um, experience as a nurse. I worked in hospitals. I've got postgraduate qualifications in neuroscience and in intensive care. Um, and also my knowledge of new health technology products. I mix in the health startup scene. I've interviewed a number of health tech founders. So I use my insider knowledge to share with people what the problems are in healthcare, which are often hidden. They often don't know what they are. And then what are the new solutions that they can go and seek out and find for themselves? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a tall order and the forces um, that are looking to preserve the status quo 
are, are powerful. And so, um, you know, Wiki Hospitals and the work that you're doing uh, are up against a, a pretty uh, weighty, um, you know, counter forces that are looking to, to keep things um, the same because we're talking about such extraordinary amounts of money. And so when we talk about, you know, in many ways, it sounds like transparency, which is another word for honesty, um, yeah. that, you know, we're looking to create a more honest dialogue between healthcare providers and the people they're providing for. Could you talk a little bit about, like, what's the problem that you're trying to solve uh, by creating this more honest relationship, this more transparent relationship? And I realize it's probably more than one, so, you know, you can kind of... <laughs> sure. Okay, well, first of all, healthcare is not like the banking or the shopping um, industry. Um, so, you know, with those industries, what you get is what you've paid for. And those industries are controlled by normal um, commercial um, forces. So if you want to buy a house, for example, you can shop online, you can see all the prices of houses, you know, down to the cent, where the extra money is, who's charging what, why, what other people have charged, how the market is coming and going, exactly what you're going to get, how long the house is likely to last. You can have every kind of analytics if you buy a house or a car or a dress or a piece of meat. But when you go to get healthcare, whether it's the government's paying, and that's called you know, Medicare or Medicaid, um, or whether you've got a private health insurance plan, you have no idea at all how much it costs or how good it is, or what other people have experienced when they've had those sorts of services. And not only do you not know, but the doctors don't know, the hospitals don't know, the pharmacists don't know, <laughs> the health insurers don't know. Really, nobody knows. So I guess what I'm wanting to alert people to the fact that, <clears throat> you know, having hip replacement is not the same as buying a car or buying a meal, you will encounter very different things that you would never have expected. For example, you can pay far, far, far more and get something that's far, far, far worse. You can have the most expensive hip replacement in the world and have the worst result. Or you could have one of the cheapest in the world and have a sensational result. So my mission, I suppose, is just to let people know that this is how things exist. And it's, due, it's to do with the funding model, that that's where the problem is. And to say to people, listen, there are now some new services opening up where you pay cash. You pay cash for hip replacements. You pay cash for um, a GP service. You pay cash for health technology. And you can often get a better deal. And also to let people know that things are changing. And it's now is a really good time to start looking around and being aware of your alternatives because the current system in both the private world, as in America, and in the public world, as in many European countries, is not sustainable. Yeah, there's such an asymmetry between uh, the power of the provider and the recipient, because if somebody looks at, you know, an image of your body that is a mystery to you, um, and tells you, listen, if you don't do what I say, there's these catastrophic 
uh, events, there's very little that I feel like the recipient can say in return to that other than to get obviously more than one opinion. Um, but that sort of asymmetry and power um, lends itself to what you're saying because then, well, what is the cost of, the value is clear, I would like to live or I'd like to not be crippled by this bone issue or you know, pick your condition. Um, so the value is there to the, they know what it is, but the cost is, um, you know, is, is a mystery. And <clears throat> we've, you know, we see that in, in the United States by, you know, certain procedures in one state cost one amount of money. And then in another state, it costs another amount of money. And, um, and that becomes, uh, that's, that's invisible to most everybody here because of the lack of things like, you know, wiki, wiki hospitals. You, you spent obviously a lot of time on a different side of the equation here where you were a part of providing um, these services. And so I'm curious if <clears throat> the problem you're looking to solve crystallized in a moment where you're like, okay, this is, somebody has to do something about this or whether it was just over a length of time that you, um, you, you know, little bit by little bit, this occurred to you and then at some point in time you're like that's enough I need to get on the other side or, or a different side of, of this um, of this relationship um, I think what made me change is um, my mother had very poor quality cancer treatment so she ended up uh, with five causes of death on her death certificate and three were caused by the treatment <laughs> um, and then I had very poor quality cancer treatment I went private in Australia and it bankrupt me and the standard was just appalling and the standard was actually far lower than if I'd have gone to the public sector and paid nothing. That's what I mean about the, the crazy pricing. It's, we have the problems very similar in Australia. Um, and yes, you know, during, you know, when you work behind the scenes as a nurse or as a doctor, you see a litany of completely avoidable errors, um, not because one person is bad not because there's a bad doctor or there's a bad nurse, but because the whole system is completely fragmented, there is no coordination of data. It's not like the banking industry where they know <clears throat> an awful lot about you. And that comes into play when you go to get a loan. All your records are cross-referenced. In healthcare, nothing is cross-referenced. So I guess it's a combination of personal and family um, experiences that made me say, I'm going to spend my life doing this. So I started with a blog, I started writing stories. People got in touch, they started telling me their story, you know, nurses all talk. Um, and then patients started talking and, you know, then all these stories came out. So I started writing about situations and incidents. And then the health technology scene started up in Australia about eight years ago. And suddenly there were all these meetups. Um, they started in Sydney and people were getting together and saying, look, I've got <clears throat> a new device for this or an app for that. And from the point of view of somebody who'd been in the system, who'd never seen anything besides paper records being wheeled around in a shopping trolley, <laughs> kept in manila folders bound together with elastic bands, right. to see this kind of technology was just awesome. And I went, wow, we've got to have this. And then, of course, you go out and you find no one knows about it. Doctors don't know, patients don't know, hospitals yeah, don't right. know. And I went, okay, we all need to know what's going on. We need to know what's out there. We need to know what the problems are, and we need to know how to find these solutions. So yeah, this tension, I mean, particularly in the United States where uh, privacy, 
is a hot button political politically, but it's also um, you, you know uh, a fear I think in terms of our national consciousness of people um, having all their information accessible to somebody somewhere, even if there's benefit to it. And so it'll be interesting to me as these technologies root, because what you're talking about in my mind is uh, an inevitable, like, I don't know how long it takes, but it's an inevitable um, place for us to land because the, the, the efficacy of being able to be with a, you know, a medical provider, a healthcare provider, that they can provide you more accurate service at some point in time will win because it's the best way to go about it. it this is my opinion. Um, but in, in the current environment, <clears throat> you're in conflict with, you know, this massive system that has incredible inertia. So if you were going to talk about like the strongest forces that um, are in play to keep the current system in place, because if there wasn't somebody benefiting or some group of corporations and people benefiting from this, it obviously would have changed already. So could you describe some of the, the reasons uh, in terms of the forces keeping us on the track we're on? Okay, well, you know, healthcare is one of the biggest, if not the biggest employer in most Western countries. So who are the power players? Everybody. The nurses union would be the most powerful union, certainly in Australia, possibly in America. The pharmacy guild in Australia is the most powerful guild, probably the same in America. The medical associations are obviously the most powerful professional association in Australia and would be in America. <clears throat> the amount of fat in the system, the amount of money that people are making, you've got middlemen, you've got bureaucrats, I mean, who's on the payroll? Well, you know, half the Western world, basically. So who's got their finger in the pie? Absolutely everybody. I mean, if you were to make <clears throat> healthcare efficient in um, Western countries, both, say, Europe, where it's, it's all public, and America, where it's half public, half private, you'd sack millions of people. So one, one thing that I'm not, I don't have... Um very much knowledge of, and I'm, I'm curious for you to illuminate, um, is the, the business of providing medical care and the business of keeping track of the current costs and billing, do those reside in the same places um, or is there this industry that sits alongside the healthcare um, industry and maybe it's as simple as that these are the insurance companies are the companies for that or or maybe there's businesses that I'm unaware of that create this fat in the system but um, structurally speaking uh, is there a way for you to describe sort of the interconnected business relationships sure okay um, in America uh, what you have is um um, let me see. You've got these middlemen. Um, it's like it's not even just the health insurance plans. And actually, the health insurers are one of the least profitable groups in this monolith. You have um, um, pharmacy benefits people. You have 
you have all these middlemen between the health insurance plans uh, and then the people who do deals with the pharmacy groups and the people who do deals with the hospitals. And to mention some of the good guys in this, there's an organisation in America called um, Health Rosetta, run by a guy called Dave Chase. I'll give you his uh, details. And he's got a company that's working with employers and unions and to help reduce their spending by at least 20%, simply by bumping up some of these middlemen. So people, you know, on the outside tend to think, oh, it's just the health insurers. They actually make the lowest profit. There are all these layers and layers of, of bureaucrats and middlemen and people who say, we've got to deal with this person, we've got to deal with that person. And this is why I tend to recommend to people to pay cash for something like a concierge medicine service where you're just paying a doctor. Because in all of this money, with all of these middlemen, the doctors actually earn the least amount of money. The doctors are getting less than 20% um, of, of the health dollar, often a lot less than that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so interesting to me. And, and in my personal experience with it, you know, I've experienced um, insurance costs that were extraordinary in my lifetime, I'm 50. I mean, <clears throat> where my in insurance costs were very low. Um, and I'm thinking in the 90s when I had, uh, as a percentage of my paycheck, uh, where the, my health insurance was, was super manageable. And then I've seen that grow, uh, you know, over time to, to a, a much more substantial portion of things where obviously the care is not commiserate, you know, nothing's changed from a care perspective, but, but the cost is extraordinary. And I haven't done the math myself. Um, this is something, you know, I mean, I, health and wellness is something that, you know, I'm in the thick of every day one way or another. Um, so I don't even know the math that if I stopped my insurance costs and paid cash pay for somebody who's relatively healthy, um, other than something catastrophic happening, you know, I'm a very light consumer um, of that. <clears throat> and I don't want to take us in this direction because uh, this I go off on, on a rant if I think too much about it in the course of this conversation. But in you know, the pharmaceutical companies addressing healthcare from, you know, pre pre prescriptions rather than us dealing with healthcare from a prevention is something that, we, in terms of fat, uh, you know, if you taught people how to get their immune system as strong as possible, you know, taught them about, um, you, you know, you would take a lot of people out of uh, the current system. Um, I, 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 what I'm curious about next is sort of, this is a problem that I don't think uh, many people are thinking about. So I'm wondering if you could describe for me, like, why do people, why are people not conscious of this as an issue? Um, you know, there's a set of assumptions that go along with like how we interact with the healthcare system. If you're talking about, you know, a third to half of the cost being, you know, lost to bureaucracy, um, you know, there's, this, is, this is an awful lot of money that we're talking about. So can you describe like, uh, you know, why, why aren't people more aware and concerned about this? Um, well, 
one of the problems with this kind of a conversation is <clears throat> people get very emotional about healthcare. And I think that's, you know, the media are partly to blame, but also, you know, we have a joke in, in the health reform space. People talk about, you know, shooting Bambi, you know, the, the health healthcare is seen as Bambi, a little, you know, a tragic little, you know, big eyed, um, quivering, you know, deer that's just so loving and, you know, and here's this bad person who wants to shoot. Well, why would you shoot Bambi? Well, you know, because you'd shoot Bambi because Bambi's actually destroying half the country. That's why, and Bambi needs a bullet. <laughs> um, so it's an image problem. Uh, people, um, particularly women, I'm sorry to say, often get very emotional about healthcare and, and that emotion is great, but, you know, um, the conversation tends to veer towards how can we save lives as opposed to cut the crap. And the other problem is that, you know, governments keep paying for crap, basically. And, you know, your government is paying, I mean, half of your health industry is, is funded by the government. So you're not that far away from Australia. And, you know, they, they're paying, you know, your employers pay for health insurance. So the government gives them a rebat. So the, so the government's funding employers, they're funding government departments. I mean, if that money were to stop, if governments were to say, I'm sorry, we'll give you 5% of gross domestic product, and that's all you're ever going to get, um, and we'll sack all the people in the system and bring in people from overseas who are efficient, and that's it. If the money flow were to stop, then there'd be screams and then overnight you'd have new solutions. So as, as harsh as this sounds, people are too emotional, they're too indulgent, and it's too easy to keep floating on the way they are because governments keep helping us along. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as we began the conversation, you talked about transparency. And um, when, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my own knowledge of, uh, my own knowledge of what does the care that I've received or my family received truly uh, costs. And when you talk about being emotional, in the thick of the need for care, all you want is the care. So that is not the time that you are gonna do, or for most people, I guess, that's sure. not the time where you're sure. gonna do research. And so it requires people to think about a situation that they're not in at the moment. Um, and so without uh, either strong leadership saying, here's how it could be. You know, it's one thing to describe, you, these are difficult ideas in, in, in my sense, because you're talking about a chain of people. When you talk about layer after layer, my guess is we could spend a few hours with you describing like this is layer one, two, sure. three. But that's a that's a lot for people to unpack and then to figure out well what <clears throat> what layer is indispensable um, and then what's not and in some senses when you talk about the cash pay situation then you were what you what you need and then what you pay for um, have a relationship. However, in a catastrophic situation, um, I don't know that people can afford the care that goes along with the car accident or goes along with the heart attack or yeah. cancer treatment, which I think creates a set of uh, anxieties that says, well, you know, it's one thing for me to go in because I have a cold, or I have strep throat, or I have something that 
you know, how expensive could it possibly be to treat your uh, small illnesses or whatever. But I'm afraid to go bankrupt, as you mentioned, because of something catastrophic, which I think muddies the waters here and, um, and it, it lends itself to the, even a broken arm, right? I mean, this potentially could be, for many of us, like a catastrophic moment if we have to pay cash. I mean, is that in the mix from your point of view of, of like why this is such an emotional uh, issue? I mean, the fear of, well, what do I do if? I think people don't realize that the majority of medical bankruptcies that occur in America are with people who actually have private health insurance. So if you think having private cover will save you, it won't. And it's the same in Australia, the majority of, and there are many Australians going bankrupt from private treatment here. We have people going on, you know, GoFundMe sites after having had private cancer treatment. It's very similar. So the majority of, uh, of people going broke are not people who went to pay cash. They're people who went to trust the system. They had private health insurance. They thought that would save them. Guess what? It didn't. Um, so I guess I, you know, one of the products that I push on people or I, I promote heavily is something called concierge medicine. This started as a revolution among doctors <clears throat> who are like patients really at the bottom of this system. They were, um, their practices were being bought up more and more by these big conglomerates who were then forcing doctors to over-service and at the same time to see more and more patients. So doctors staged a walkout and they now <clears throat> run a growing number of practices whereby they either just take cash or they have some deals with health insurers and or some government providers and patients pay, pay yearly or, or monthly. And then doctors reduce their caseload from like 6,000 to like um, 2,000. So they dramatically reduce their caseload and they spend up to an hour with the patients pretty much within a couple of days of them booking an appointment. And they follow all those patients up. You went to hospital, I wanna see you, I wanna see you straight away, I wanna look at your drugs, you're not interfering with my patient. There was a test, well I will get the results back. And then going through stuff with patients, hang on, that's actually the problem. Actually, that's not important, that's a problem. You know, something like concierge medicine comes across as pay cash, but it can help people stay out of hospital, stay away from over-servicing and get the good care that they need. So I know people think they need to stay safe and have insurance, but if they knew that most bankruptcies came from people who had insurance, they might think twice about that. Yeah, it's, you know, as you're talking, I mean, we um, in the United States, I mean, the leading causes of death um, are directly linked to choices that people are making throughout out their life. So if you had care in a concierge manner, that focused on bolstering your health rather than attending to an illness for the yeah. primary causes um, of death in the United States, you'd have a pretty ma massive impact because, for example, you know, I think about diabetes as the canary in the coal mine that yeah. when diabetes and obesity reduces, it will be the indicator of, of large-scale change in the behavior of, of the, the country. You know, we have a huge 
um, insurance company called Kaiser Permanente in California uh, here. And <clears throat> I've seen the beginnings of like changing the relationship with their physicians to say, listen, um, rather than like a pharmaceutical approach to diabetes, lifestyle uh, adjustment needs to be your first course before you, you end up prescribing metformin or some other um, sure. med medication. Um, and so, I mean, I guess when I ask you the question, you know, why don't people see this problem more serious than it is, understanding that economics um, and the risks, right? So you're saying to me, even in the system, you have more risks than being outside the system um, and again, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, in a car accident or something like that, um, I, it's hard for me to imagine having enough savings in this country to cover things like that. But maybe, maybe in the ways that you're thinking about, there's ways to, to deal with something catastrophic. I mean, that's something I'm worried about with my own, you know, I have a blended family of five. I got kids doing all kinds of things. Um, is it and just, I mean, before we go on, I mean, do you have a thought about like how to allay sure. that anxiety? Because that would keep me out of concierge medicine in a sense, right? Like, well, that, that makes sense for my general health, but what do I do if something unexpected and terrible happens? Um, there's things like Hoy Health, um, and that was set up for Hispanics um, who might not have uh, residency or insurance. That's a, that's a, a pay cash model. Uh, I think it might be running like a, a savings fund mm -hmm. and then they have a list of providers. <clears throat> um, medical tourism is just exploding yeah. internationally. And let me make it quite clear. A lot of these hospitals are very high quality. Sure. Um, they specialize. They're just um, places like India or Asia and you have a whole hospitals that will just do like cardiovascular mm -hmm. procedures. So they get really good at what they do. Um, and they can do a very good job. In terms of things like car accidents, you know, I'd be looking at things like smart sensors in cars. I mean, if you, even if you had health insurance, you might go broke from yeah. the cost of an ambulance, you know, and it doesn't cost that much to get someone to a hospital. So if I was in the United States, um, I would have a savings fund if something went wrong. I would have a whole list of providers. I would have all the family tracked with a smart device so I knew where they all were at any one time. <clears throat> and I'd have it rigged up to a system so if it showed up there was a car accident, then I'd get there straight away. And I'd take full control from that moment on. And then I'd be negotiating. I have someone in the family designated to negotiate. And you can go in with a broken arm and say, <clears throat> I'm covered with health insurance and guess what, you're not. And here's a bill versus how much are you uh, charging? No, I'm getting on a plane. Um, um, so, you know, that's what I would do. I mean, that's just uh, my personal opinion. Um, I know people want the security of private health insurance, but most people going broke have actually got insurance. And you can go to a hospital and think that that hospital has a deal, but there are actually people working in that hospital who are not covered. It gets very, very complicated. And this is where the bankruptcy cases are coming from. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it's probably a little bit unfair of me to press the point just because, I mean, <clears throat> uh, this, is, this is not a simple thing. And, um, sure. and it's complicated. And, you know, there's lots of variables. And, and sure. you can get stuck on a detail that, you know, to kind of gets us distracted from the overall 
um, point. And so uh, I don't mean to take us in that direction because I think the bulk of care uh, yeah. you know, is going towards things that are um, managing issues or, you know, acute small illnesses. I mean, that's where the bulk of the time and energy is spent. You've talked a, a little bit about it just in the last uh, minute or so. And I'd like for you to kind of describe, I mean, this is potentially an intimidating idea, right? Is how do I, as a person, you know, a person with limited knowledge of like how to evaluate uh, this information, um, go into it and begin that process. So if you're gonna suggest that people look, here's the, here's the starting point, like here's a small behavioral change uh, to, to move you in the direction of, of being clearer about how you're spending your, your healthcare dollars. What, what would you tell people? I always say to people, you need a good primary care physician. So that's why I like the concierge model of medicine because, you know, things are not expected. You know, younger people have, a really high risk of things like suicide and that doesn't get discussed enough but it's a massive issue there are things that you know most people that go to see a general practitioner actually have family issues so there's all this stuff that's not dealt with so i always say to people get yourself in whatever way or what structure it is a quality primary care physician and go back to them again and again and again, and they will get to know you. And then um, they will talk to you about all the strange, weird things in your family and the, the issues that you have and help you manage them. And you'll have a relationship and you'll get proper information. I don't like the tick and flick model. I don't like clinics. I don't like um, apps. When it comes to primary care, you need a good relationship. Uh, beyond that, learn about medical bankruptcy. If you're in the US, it is, um, the number one cause of bankruptcy is medical bankruptcy and the majority of people who, who go bankrupt had insurance. It really is a dangerous system. So no matter how much you're paying for insurance, you're at risk and you can't really find out what, what hospital is coming and what hospital isn't. So look at your options, look at things like medical tourism, um, look at your providers nearby, who takes cash, how much do they want, have a list of them. Um, really start to step outside the system. Besides having a relationship with a primary care physician, um, start to really unhook from the insurance and the government model is my suggestion. Start to really look around. Imagine if you were, um, say, you know, um, somebody who's living illegally in the US. You'd be a lot more savvy, you'd be on your toes, you'd be looking around saying, you know, we'll try and think like a Mexican, basically, is my <laughs> suggestion because in a way you are because you can go to a hospital and you think it's in the network, but there are people in the hospital who are not in the network. So you might say, oh, well, my insurer said we're covered at that hospital. Oh, but no, there's a subsection of that hospital that doesn't have a deal. And you're not going to know whether it's the radiology department or the AD department. You might get hit with, with millions of dollars worth of bills, but you were, you were insured. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. You know, in terms of medical tourism, it's interesting in terms of you talk about exploding. I live in Arizona, so as a state that borders Mexico, my oh. father um, needed some dental care. And yeah. uh, he decided to explore his options across the border, and, um, and it was a cash pay 
uh, situation, and it was 30% of the cost of um, the dentist that was 150 miles away. And the dentist that he went to went to school in the United States, went to a top flight uh, dental school, but you know chose to live in, in Mexico. Um, so in terms of knowledge, I mean, he sought out um, exactly what you're saying. Um, and I, you know, obviously that's not available to everybody, um, that particular option. But, um, I, you know, I, when I listen to you and I, I think about, well, what small steps has my family taken? Um, <clears throat> you know, my, my dad was able to, uh, to find that. And when I hear you talk about, we'll go back and back to your primary care physician, in a sense, what you're suggesting in my mind is an analogy to a set of medical records that would sit in one place and travel with the person, except it would reside with the physician. So yeah. you're saying, you know, what is important to care is that whoever's giving you healthcare needs to have a comprehensive knowledge of who you are. Um, yes. Talk about reducing workload from 6,000 patients a year to 2,000 patients a year. Obviously, the economics with those 2,000 patients a year change because, you know, that's a different revenue model. Um, but when I look at, you know, my wife's Dr. Maggie Garvin as a naturopathic, when she meets with her, um, you know, her patients, the initial visits anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes long, um, you couldn't get the type of care she's giving if there's a 15 visit, minute visit or a seven minute visit, whatever the convention. Yeah is um, <clears throat> as we move into sort of the, the, the end of the conversation um, you know you've been working at this for some time you have a variety of different tools that you're bringing to the world to help people could you give us a sense of maybe one of your accomplishments in this field like something that you feel good about that hey I, I, I'm looking to solve this problem in the world and you know I brought X to it and it helped could, could you talk about that for a second I've uh, worked um, just helping, sometimes helping patients. Sometimes they get in touch with me. I've had, uh, that's always really nice. I had a lady get in touch. Um, here's a good example. The family got a phone call saying that, <clears throat> that her brother was um, in palliative care, that he was dying, it was very sad. Um, he had a, a very serious infection. It had gone through his body. And what should she do? Because she went to see him. And uh, he was saying, I'm very thirsty. Can I have a drink, please? And she said, of course. And they said, no, no, he's dying. You don't, you don't, you don't give him a drink. And he had morphine going. But her brother was saying, look, I'm thirsty. Please give me a drink. So she got in touch and said, what do I do? We talked about a few things. And I said, look, get a second medical opinion. Um, threaten a lawyer if you're not getting a result that you need. It's your legal right. You are the biological relative. You can, you can ask that and you can receive it. Nobody can argue with that. And I said, look, if somebody's thirsty, give them a drink. People's bodies will tell them what they need. Um, and she did that. And the end result was that her brother <laughs> walked out of hospital a month later. <laughs> He's fine. Wow. wow. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I tell you, you what, know, all you ever accomplished, that would be, you know, that would yeah. be. Uh, worth it in and of itself? Look, um, 
that's just a small example of the the kind of errors that go on the, the whole system is really full of errors i i hate to disillusion people i know that they think that healthcare is is bambi it, it just needs more money more just more money yeah, right. but you know it's you know it is it, it's full of errors and you know i like the gp model or the primary care physician model because you get to know people and then you get to hear the story and you know even though they've got this one that and the other we'll keep an eye on them that's actually not a problem. That is a problem. You're actually, I think, safer with someone who is your guide, who you see all the time, who is a doctor, who keeps a track of you when you go into hospital. People getting lost in the system is always bad. Um, so that was really satisfying for me. And, um, you know, the fact that I've got a global directory now of health technology products, and I'm in the painful process of making a, a readable directory. Yeah. It looks very daggy now on my website, but it's going to become like a fast-loading directory so anybody in the world can just get online and say look for diabetes for stroke for dental problems for epilepsy what do i do there's a list so um you know as we kind of move to conclude here is is that uh information at wikihospitals.com is that the site that yes. you're, you're focused on okay yes okay well um Delia, thanks for you know spending time <laughs> with me, and thanks for accommodating uh, you know a drastic um, you know time difference between us. What you're talking about, I think uh, you're you may be at the vanguard of of an issue that um, in this broken system there'll be an inflection point somewhere because it's just going to be untenable, in my opinion. Thank you for spending the the time with me. Uh, we will put the information that uh, is important about finding you uh, in the show notes. So, so thanks for um, you know making that available to the folks that, sure. that listen to us. Um, and and I'm very grateful. So thank you. My pleasure. And you know, I I've been to a country several times. I really love it. It's a great country. So let's all work together to to make a better system. I agree. Well. You know, today's modern revolutionary, uh, Delia Scales, is she's moving us forward. And like others we've talked to, she has a very clear-eyed understanding of the problem she's approaching. And she's brave enough to you know, bring her thoughts and, and efforts to the world. Um, and in that arena, uh, she's in conflict with, you know, really large forces that have an interest in retaining uh, the status quo. Um, so I hope that uh, she inspires you to do the same, to enter into the arena of conflicts that you think <clears throat> need to be addressed uh, in the world. You know, the modern revolution needs us all, so don't lock your thoughts away and keep them private. Bring them, bring them to the world. Delia, thanks again. Thanks for having me on the show, Peter. The show notes for this show and all our shows can be found at themodernrevolution.com. So please go there where you can check out the show notes and learn more about our guests and see some of our fun videos like Tell Big Soda to Piss Off. The Modern Revolution is a production of A Well-Run Life. In A Well-Run Life, we have an additional podcast by the same name, A Well-Run Life, and it's three minutes long. And should you be interested in some of our additional ideas, Peter Dealey, myself, I have a book called The Leadership Miracle, and it's 35 minutes, 
and it's on audible.com for $3.95, so you can check us out there as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next episode.